0: Do you wanna know a secret? We're working on a special project that's gonna be revealed in the next few weeks. If you'd like to get an inside look and see some exclusive content, go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to our Patreon campaign. If you donate to our campaign, you will be able to access some exclusive content, some behind the scenes, planning documents, some photos, maybe some exclusive audio about this big event that we will be revealing in June. Again, go to itsalljournalism.com, follow the link at the top of the page, and donate to our Patreon campaign.
1: You can see how a few people can lead a crowd down a really scary dangerous path and you know normal well-meaning citizens can get caught up in something really dark and i think it's like you know with that historical perspective you can see you know you can just put a, a different lens on things
0: week in and week out radio documentarians and podcasters continue to demonstrate the simple power of the spoken word this week we talked to one of the masters of audio storytelling i'm michael o'connell and you're listening to it's all journalism Joe Richman is the founder, executive producer, and host of Radio Diaries, a radio show and podcast that tells the stories of extraordinary people. The show has been running since 1996 and has been featured on the BBC, This American Life, and NPR's All Things Considered. In 2012, Joe won a Peabody Award for his work on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Joe.
1: Wow, thanks. It's Good to be here. Yes,
0: yes. Now, because this is totally transparent we we had tried to set something up sooner uh while you were out traveling around america and the recording didn't go quite well so we're sort of following it up and uh, i think we're going to be in a better position at this point but now why were you traveling america may i ask or at least the east coast
1: Yeah, well, we were doing uh, Radiotopia. Our podcast network was doing an East Coast tour, so I was one of seven shows or six shows that were you know live in this on this tour going up the East Coast. We went uh, started in Atlanta, Durham, DC. We did two shows in New York, and then a show in Boston. Wow! And um, it was you know I've never been a rock star before, (laughs) (laughs) so this was a little glimpse. And I have to say, um, I now have an appreciation for the lack of glamour that might be in that you know in the rock star life. We were just on a bus with the whole team and going from city to city. And it was fun, but it was not exactly the glamorous rock rock star life that I'd imagined.
0: Yeah, the cue Jackson Brown, I think.
1: (laughs) On the road. (laughs) On the
0: road. So, what was your, you know, you got a chance to interact with your audience. Do you get many chances to do that?
1: You know, not that many. At Radio Diers we've always done some events where usually where we'll bring some of the characters from our stories and we'll do kind of like a more like a talk or, a you know, interview kind of type show. This is much more of like a produced show. So all the podcasts were doing something that, you know, you know, taking their audio stories and making them theatrical in some way with visual elements or, you know, just like performance. We took a story we had we had previously done actually for the American Life originally about a nuclear missile that exploded in 1980 in Arkansas just because a workman dropped a tool. It's wow. so sort of like the you know the chain reaction of like one small thing can lead to um, something so major. So we did that story with this beautiful this beautiful animation. I worked with this beautiful artist Dustin Gorella, who uh, did this animation and also with a live band. And for me that was such a thrill to like perform a story with a live band it was really, really
0: fun. Yeah. It, it, well, yeah, that's that's your, your rock star experience there. So it, it, can people view this animation, or did you guys record this in any way where
1: people could hear it? The whole show was recorded. I, I wouldn't say that. I think what we plan to do down the road is to take the animation and the music and produce like a short film. So, but that's you know that's probably uh, at least six months away.
0: Yeah, and that sounded like content. You always want to look for content.
1: <laughs> Looking for content.
0: Looking for content. So, you've been with Radio Diaries a really long time. Nineteen ninety six is when you started.
1: Yeah, yeah. I started. Well, I started doing the diaries for NPR back around ninety six. Started with this series, Teenage Diaries, and I became uh, an organization, Radio Diaries, as a nonprofit in ninety nine. So, yeah, it's been it's been a while and. You know, we're best known for doing these diaries, giving tape recorders to people and working with them to do stories about their lives. We also do a lot of historical documentaries and and other stories for NPR, This American Life, BBC, and, of course, for our own podcast. And I guess, you know, we sort of specialize in stories that are really, you know, highly produced, like character-driven Really sound rich kinds of kinds of stories,
0: and very effective too. What what is it about this type of storytelling? Do you think that works so well?
1: It, it's just what what works so well in radio. You know, radio is just really a storytelling medium. It, it's great for characters. You know, you really feel like you get to know people. You know, it's that sense of intimacy that exists when you put the headphones on and someone is speaking to you in your ear that just doesn't exist in any other medium. And so, you know, I think our our stories, we, tr- we just try to use that that sense of place, that experiential quality of audio that I think is just really just, you know, the magic of the medium.
0: And it's something, I mean, if you listen to Radio Diaries, it's clear that the, the work that you put into it and the power of just, you know, simple narrative, just told well and, and presented with music, with sound. So, you know, this is obviously a very low rent, podcast it's you know very basic there's not a lot of production that goes around it but what is it that you know that you can sort of bring to a story to sort of enrich it what are the you know when you start listening or or maybe even just reading a a diary that you're going to produce what are the sort of the the key things from an audio perspective that you kind of cue into that you want to sort of enrich As you tell a story,
1: there are the things that you think about that make things, you know, highly produced audio, you know, sound and music and sound design and rich scene, and all those things are important, but nothing is as important as just a good character telling a good story. I mean, it's just, you know, it's always just that basic. You know, you find people who are compelling talkers and. I think compelling talkers come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes they're funny and extroverted and kind of alive, and sometimes they're kind of intimate and quiet and kind of, you know, make you lean closer to them. So I think they're all different kinds of good talkers, but they're people who make you listen, who just feel like you can just sense the kind of honesty and authenticity of what they're saying. So that's number one. And then the story, you know, just like something that feels fresh and interesting and compelling and might be very specific but is also universal and relatable so i think you know those are always the two ingredients that are most important a good a good story and a good storyteller
0: so going back to those early days of radio diaries of teenage diaries you know what was it that you were seeking to do at that point you know what was it that was like you know this would be a really great way to to tell stories to you know engage an audience what were the things that we were you thinking
1: yeah, I mean, the philosophy is basically like, let's take important issues, whether it's, you know, undocumented immigrants or um, teen moms or a kid with a disease or just sort of normal teenage life and just tell it through the story of one person. You know, that's so, so often, the kind of, you know, what we seek to do in journalism or in more sort of documentary style journalism is humanize big Impersonal issues, and that was just the goal in the beginning: was to take issues and and tell them through the story of one person. And it's sort of like you know, like the Trojan horse theory: like <laughs> you get the story in, and you get people to feel to kind of understand this one person's life, and to maybe empathize, and to really kind of get who they are and where they're coming from. And through that, you get to know this issue that maybe. Without that kind of storytelling approach, we might think very differently about and much more kind of like dispassionately about.
0: Yeah you talk about big stories. I mean, you just mentioned the story about you know somebody dropping a, a tool and setting off a, a nuclear bomb. Are there Have you ever sort of a, come across a story that's like you ask yourself, well, how am I going to tell this story? What is the what is the hook? And you've had a real challenge with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, all the time. Oh, and by the way, the, the nuclear missile exploded, but the nu- but the nuclear warhead didn't oh, explode. Oh, okay. That well, let's, let's clarify that. There's yeah, a big, that, big, that big, big difference. That we definitely know about. Yeah, I mean, you know, some stories are just really – some stories are easier to tell and some stories are harder to tell. You know, we do a lot of historical documentaries as well, and some just have kind of built-in narratives. And some are just more vague and more about ideas or more just a little bit harder to kind of put your hands around. And, you know, and and, and there are also – there are just some stories that are, you know, more easily told in print or maybe more easily told with images or – and then there are stories that are just more naturally told in audio. So, you know, if it's a good story, we we, we don't shy away from it. We try to just, you know, whether it's getting archival tape or the right characters or the right way in or you know it's just kind of trying to find the elements that can make a story come alive but certainly there's some stories that are just so much harder to tell them than others
0: yeah there are a couple of stories that you that radio diaries featured recently that that really kind of stood out to me one was uh, the fly girls the one about the um some
1: um, uh, the wasps yeah the wasps yeah. wasps since, um <laughs> the world war uh, <laughs> no what is this? the air like a- force service
0: Personnel or something. Yes, Women Air Force Service. (laughs) Women
1: Air Force Service, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, the the story is basically that in World War II, there was such a shortage of pilots because they were all overseas fighting the war. And they needed pilots to, you know, ferry planes, to do training missions, to do, you know, stateside jobs. And so they started training and using women. And it was the, the first time that women were – they weren't officially considered part of the military at that time. This later on that they were recognized, but they were up there fighting, you know, flying bombers and planes. And, uh, you know, really amazing experience for a lot of these women who wouldn't have had the opportunity otherwise. And so we did an oral history with a lot of those original pilots from World War II.
0: It's so great to, to hear them tell their story and the emotion that they – and the pride they still have years and years later – you know, something. that was obviously a big moment in their lives. What I liked about it is the way it was told. You're sort of bringing the women into, you know, unfolding their story. And as with a lot of these stories with women in the military during or doing work during World War II, is once the men return, everything changes. And that sort of moment, you really kind of feel that moment when they mm-hmm. have to go back to their their daily lives. But but then on the other side of it, you have women who are still flying. You know, decades later, that it still was a You know, they didn't just go back home. They, you know, they still flew in some some way and they still had these lives. I I thought that was really powerful. The other historical story, and this sort of goes to what you were saying before about, you know, how to tell a story through audio was the one that the cute for it was, I guess, um, Strange Fruit, that that song about, well, lynching and the story about the the lynching that took place in the 1930s in in Indiana. Could you sort of talk about the production of that and, and how you were sort of, told that story and brought on those all those different elements to tell that story.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously a very intense story, but it, it's one of my favorites. I mean, the song Strange Fruit, many people know the story about that song. It's one of my favorite songs. It's a Billie Holiday song that was based on an Abel Mirapol poem. Abel Mirapol was a, he was a high school teacher in New York who saw the photograph of the lynching that happened in Marion, Indiana in 1930, this famous photograph of two young black boys hanging from a tree and he turned that into a poem which then became the Billy Holiday song. So that story is pretty well known. What isn't so well known which is what the story that we told is there was a third boy who was supposed to be lynched that day. There were three boys who were caught and put in jail suspected of beating this this other white boy and all three of them were going to be lynched and James Cameron the third survived. Even strung him up and they they took him down. No one's quite sure why he looked a lot younger. They'd already lynched too. the crowd sort of you know maybe lost its its appetite. No one's sure, but he came very close to be lynching to be lynched and he and he survived considered the only person to ever survive a lynching in america and so we had um an interview with him and a historian who wrote about this and some others. What also made this story so compelling for me personally was that um there had recently been a discovery of these cassette tapes, interviews that had been done by people in, from the town in the 70s. So the, the lynching was in the 30s. Someone had interviewed a lot of people in the 70s who were witnesses to this. And then those tapes were you know, sort of forgotten in a, in a shoebox for, for decades. So a historian found those tapes and we were able to use those recordings as well to kind of like add texture to the, the, the retelling of this, this historical event.
0: The tapes really make that story, The to actually hear the, the witnesses, the people who participated in some way in, in this heinous act. And, you know, sometimes, you know, years and years later, sort of marveling on, on something that they had participated in and that they witnessed in, but in, in a very dispassionate way. And then juxtapose with the, um, the lynching victim.
1: One of the things that's so interesting about this story too is that Billie Holiday's song talks about Southern fruit. It's you know it's basically the story of a Southern lynching, but yeah, of course it wasn't a Southern lynching. This happened in Indiana in 1930. So sort of going against the you know the cliche that we you know, the, that we think of all lynchings being Southern, and of course that, that wasn't true. And even even though she changed her song to fit the the, the to fit the the stereotype. It was really based on uh, something that happened in in Middle America.
0: Again, something else that was that was really powerful about it is this idea of this this hysteria that it seemed to occur, and nobody seemed to, you know, the witnesses. Nobody seemed to sort of comment on on why it was happening. They were just, you know, this happened and this happened and this happened, and, and you sort of juxtapose it with. You know, maybe some of the press coverage, reading some of the news accounts of what what the story was, and talking about the photo, the famous photo, and the fact that that people were able to go to the town square the next day and buy copies of this photo, right. Uh, right. as if it was, you know, this is a big deal in town. We should check it out. Yeah, no, it's every aspect of that that story is just is both shocking and just amazing. And
1: it, it's sort of like what what's so interesting about doing history in general is that. You know, things look different from our perspective now, of course, but also, you know, in that story, for example, you you can see how a few people can lead a crowd down a really scary, dangerous path. And, you know, normal, well-meaning citizens can get caught up in something really dark. And and I think it's like, you know, with that historical perspective, you can see, you know, you can just put a, a different lens on, on things. And I think, obviously... A different way to look at those historical events, but also a different way to look at you know, the contemporary life that we're living now. I mean, a lot of our history stories we put under a, a series title called "The History of Now" because we like them. We like to show how they reverberate with you know things that are happening today.
0: Yeah, yeah. Again, that that was the the big takeaway that, that from it is how how close something like that, something terrible, is to to any any crowd, to any person when a hysteria is sort of raised mm-hmm. now you've radio diaries is a radio show. It's also a podcast and we've seen podcasting sort of grow in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. It's been around a while. What do you think about the the, the growth of, of this and, and, and what this means to sort of, you know, listenership and, and just audio storytelling in general?
1: I mean, it's fabulous. There's so much more interest in, in audio and in in stories, in journalism, in you know in, in the kind of work that we do, I, I think I'm not one of those who makes a huge distinction between radio and audio and podcast because you know the stories that we do, whether it's on the podcast or broadcast on NPR, aren't that different. There are some differences, you know. Sometimes they can go longer, they can be a little more casual, but you know we're still doing the same kind of um, radio documentary journalism. But, you know, there is a difference. I think for me, one of the differences is on our podcast, we have our own audience that we speak to directly. And there's a certain, um, there's something really wonderful and powerful about having people coming to hear the kind of stuff that we do. And that's what they're doing. and, And I love that. And then there's also something really great about when our stories air in the middle of, say, All Things Considered, a news program, you know, in between the story about. You know the news from Syria and the budget debate that you hear these these kind of like strange documentaries. I think there's something really powerful there too, where people are listening to our work that aren't looking for it that finding people w- w- where they're not expecting it. I think both are really are really powerful. I wouldn't want to give up one or the other
0: well, it certainly helps with your discovery, which can sometimes be a really a difficult thing for somebody who's doing a podcast you know how yeah. do you how do you get people to to download your podcast, how do you get people to listen to it? If it's something that's part of another show that's already got an audience, suddenly, you know, those are people that, that you can convert maybe to podcast listeners. Do you have a sense of, you know, how many people listen to you on the radio versus the podcast?
1: Well, when our stories air on, on All Things Considered on NPR, it's a huge audience. You know, their audience is maybe it's about, um, one and a quarter million listen to any given story, and often considered, so that's a big audience. And our podcast audience is more like, say, a hundred thousand per per story, something like that. So it's it's a big difference. But on the other hand, the people who listen to our podcast are listening very closely and intently, and with purpose, and you know, really going to find us. So it's a more dedicated listener as well.
0: Yeah, I too, you know, don't don't necessarily see a big difference between. You know, radio audio storytelling and and podcasting certainly. You know, obviously, if you're you're on the radio, you have to you have other considerations if if you have commercials or if you have uh, you know time posts that you have to hit. Right. Which which again speaks well for for podcasts in the sense that, on the one hand, you have you can make a podcast as long as you want to, but then another the other thing is, do you want to make it that long? You know, <laughs> you know when when is does editing come in? When you do a story, tell me actually, let me think about that from a production standpoint. When you set out to tell the story, do you set out to do, you know, I have to have it within the the constraints of a radio program, or do you think of it in a different way? Like, I'm going to tell the story however I'm going to tell it, and then see how I can fit it into, you know, the different platforms.
1: Yeah, a little bit of both. Definitely, I mean, you know, since so much of our history, we've been producing stories that air within the clock of um, NPR's news programs, definitely aware of the constraints that exist there. So it is really liberating when we have a story that is just for the podcast only, and we don't have to think about any of those kind of clock issues. On the other hand, I've always – I kind of like the constraints too. Like I I like having to make things tighter and tighter and tighter. There are times when you make something so tight that you actually – you damage it. You make it less than it would have been. But if you can avoid that, I think – Tightening, I mean, just editing is always good. Like, the more rounds of edits you do is just makes the work stronger and clearer and tighter. I value my own time, and everyone <laughs> values their own time, and I think, like, I really like stories and podcasts and shows that I feel like respect, you know, my time and my attention and, and are just, you know, edited in the way that don't feel indulgent. So that's the way I try to approach my own work.
0: Yeah. I've talked to lots of different podcasters, lots of different people who came out of NPR in a background. I remember interviewing this one woman who was, you know, she edits a a nationally known podcast. And and she talked about when she first started doing a podcast. I mean, she was had started out all of her audio editing experiences, getting, you know, getting doing reports of three minutes or seven minutes on on Mm -hmm. NPR. And she was had to do sort of these longer narratives on the one hand, she like you, she she appreciated the the opportunity to go longer, but that was never a temptation for her. She always wanted to keep it as tight as she could so that, you know, this is a good package for a lot of the same reasons you said. Is you know, you want to respect your audience, their time, and you don't you certainly you don't want to get sloppy either. Why have something extraneous in there? I guess it's it's to figure out who your audience is and what they want and and how best to to get that to them is is also a concern.
1: Yeah, and I think it also you know there's a difference between you know you're talking about journalism, and I think those of us who come from more of a journalism background probably have a different approach to it than people who come more from a, I don't know, I guess we call it storytelling background or, right. or something else.
0: Yeah, because you know, at that point you're supposed to be well, whatever the story dictates. But you know, having grown up in this in this environment where you know, <laughs> you know, I came out of print, and you only had a certain amount of space to write, so you, you're the story, the way you were writing, the the end product conformed to whatever that the constraints were. Right. Uh, so once you have all those constraints off, it's you know it's really kind of up to you as to what shape that's going to be, which is kind of the fun of it, yeah. I guess. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get an an audience for it. So when you produce a show, you know how long does a typical story is typical show take for you to produce are you trying to turn them around within a sort of a weekly constraints or do you take sort of a long view that you have multiple stories that you're kind of rolling out
1: oh we definitely take the long view I mean, we have we're always working on a bunch of stories at once you know they take all different times like the diaries take a long time you know the diaries people will have a tape recorder for you know, a few months to a year or more, and so those are always kind of you know happening in the background, and they take a lot of time to actually put together. And you know, that can represent like uh, you know three months or six months of work, easy. And then some historical documentaries can take a long time. and you know, There are other stories that are more you know portraits that might be a little bit of a quicker turnaround. But we're always juggling a whole bunch of projects at once, and some go to the some go to NPR first, some go to the podcast only, some. Some we rework to do in a different way for the podcast. So it's you know, to be honest, we're still trying to figure out what <laughs> is the best recipe for doing work that airs on both the radio and the podcast, and what are the different demands, what are the different strengths, and uh, and how to kind of do both those at the same time.
0: Yeah, that would keep it fun, I would imagine, or at least interest, challenging at le- at, at the very least. Before we wrap up, I did want to ask you about the whole idea of the diaries. You know, how does that process work? Does somebody come with you to pitch an idea to you? Do you sort of investigate a story? You identify somebody who might have something to say? Are there actual diaries that you, you know, seek out? How does that process work?
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes we will find just like a really good character or person and and do a story with them. More typically, it's looking for a type of issue and finding someone who would be a good basically narrator, or reporter for that issue. But it, it works in different ways. You know, sometimes stories just kind of fall in our laps in weird ways. We, with the Teenage diary series that I had done back in the 90s, I revisited a bunch of those stories a few years back when they were adults. So, you know, went back to them and ended kind of like, uh, you know, news stories with them 16 years later. So there's all different approaches. But basically it is, you know, giving them the tape recorder and having them record all of it and sending me tapes you know frequently and then we're just constantly editing and kind of fine tuning the story so that it's both a personal story but it's also about something that's universal and that's kind of the trick is you know how does something that feels so singular and personal also is worth all of us hearing on the radio or a podcast
0: so how much of the narrative does come come out of that person that you identify do I mean do they just bring you know send you the tapes and then you sort of edit that down, or do you go back to them and say, "Can you please talk about this? Can you?" Tr- can oh yeah, you
1: the yeah. There's a lot, a lot of back and forth, and that's one of the great things about getting the tapes. Is then you get, get a sense of what the story is really about and what else they should record, and and then towards the end there'll be more of a specific recordings to get certain kinds of topics, you know, so that that will kind of provide the narration. So everything comes from what they record, but it's a, it's an ongoing process and it's, it's basically like they're the reporter and I'm their producer slash editor.
0: Joe, thanks for coming on. I, um, you know, I think you, we've mentioned several places where people can get your, your content, but where, where can people download episodes of uh, your podcast?
1: I mean, wherever you get your podcast, it's just the, you know, the radio diaries podcast, we're part of the Radiotopia network, and, um, you know, we um, got, I don't know how many we have up there now, 70 or so, you know, and we do a lot of different things. It's the diaries and the history, and so this should be something that everyone could find something that they hopefully like.
0: It's one great story after another. I, I sort of binged a couple of weeks before leading up to this interview, so it was a really wonderful, sort of a pleasant experience. Joe, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been great.
1: Great. Thanks for having me.
0: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of digital news. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. Would you like to find out more about our podcast? Why not sign up for our email newsletter that comes out every week? Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to sign up. Do you want to know a secret? It's All Journalism is working on a special project, which we will be revealing in the coming weeks. If you'd like to get some behind-the-scenes information, some exclusive content, then go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to our Patreon campaign. The only way you'll be able to access this exclusive content is to sign up and support our podcast through our Patreon campaign. It takes a lot of people to put together an episode of It's All Journalism, and here they are. Nicola Grisco produced this episode, Amber Healy wrote our web content, Nick Dupre wrote our theme music, Nicholas Hunter provided web support and research, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.
1: Target USA podcast with your host, J.J. Green. Russia could render a huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. That could touch the whole of the United States. ISIS.
0: D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to see an attack.
1: This is J.J. Green. Join me each week for the latest on U.S. and international security on Target USA. The Target USA podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, onecom or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC. The Finish the Game podcast with your host, Sean Alexander.
0: Draw a play to Sean. Across the 10 to 5. Touchdown, Seahawks.
1: Hey, this is Sean
0: Alexander, NFL MVP. Check out my podcast, Finish the Game, where I discuss
1: sports and life lessons helping you become an MVP. The Finish the Game podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcast1.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC.